Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. We are doing a special edition. Uh, You know, a lot's happened in the last week, Tyler, with, um, you know, let's say health issues around the world and particularly in the United States. And uh, one of the key focuses of the discussion has been the cruise industry. Yeah. And uh, Tyler was... uh, came back to Austin yesterday after spending a week-long uh, stint on the New Amsterdam, a, be- right. a beautiful boat. That's right. Uh, run by the Holland America Line. That's right. And we thought we would do a, a field notes edition of the American Shoreline podcast for you and uh, talk a little bit about what it was like to be at sea um, while kind of the world changed. And... Um, talk about what the vibe was like on the ship. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to report that uh, I was able to go on this cruise. This was the last cruise that the ship took. Um, we were the last boat out, really. Um, all cruise uh, cruises have been suspended now. Right. Uh, and I suspect will be for the foreseeable future. Um, so needless to say... The vibe on board this boat was uh, unique, and um, obviously, you know, being out on the seas and and going to a couple ports, there's definitely a coastal connection here. Normally, when we do a, a field yeah. notes episode, we talk about all sorts of coastal issues and what it's like, what it's like traveling places. Right. I mean, normally, when uh, and I think this is one of the great things we try to do on the network is the firsthand account of coastal issues and. I did a field notes from British Columbia sailing, and I did a field notes from uh, Playa del Carmen. You've done field notes from the California coast. Uh, and so we, we we would normally be doing a field note show. It right. just so happens that this particular cruise that you did uh, occurred during one of the, uh, you know, historic, I think, or great. No question. You know, great events. Uh, you know, I mean, great, not great, good, but notable uh, developments over the past 10 days. And I, I really was wondering when Tyler was at sea and people would say, where's Tyler? And I would say, well, he's on a cruise. And they would, they'd say, what? And I said, you know, I don't know. He's going to come back. I don't know if he's going to be back working because I don't know if he's going to be in quarantine. There was a lot of doubt uh, because of the coronavirus. Let's just put it on the table. That's right. In um, fact, the only reason why I was able to go on this cruise was because of kind of this reshuffling of schedules. So uh, our initial intention was to be in San Francisco to cover the International Ocean Film Festival. Right. And uh, there would be no way that I could have done uh, both of those things. Um, But just, you know, because of the virus, the International Ocean Film Festival canceled. Yeah. And right after that, I got a call from uh, my good friend, Drew Westfall, who's been on the network before on the Beach Shack podcast. Uh, and he runs this cruise. It's called the Joko Cruise. Right. Um, and named after Jonathan Colton, who is a musician. Um, and the best way I can describe his fan base and the people that attend this thing is that there are very proud nerds and that they, you know, they, they enjoy all of the nerdy things in life, such as Star Trek and tabletop gaming and console gaming and chess and lock picking even and um there were a lot of kilts on board i you know this is there's a lot of sub genres of nerdiness it turns out but um i was 
asked by my friend to uh, come on board as a consultant. Um, they wanted to have a little extra staff on board because of the virus and in the event that they needed to uh, it, you know, change protocols or they just thought it'd be a good idea to have a, an extra set of hands on board. So I accepted to come on board. I was a staff member uh, working for the Jonathan Colton crews. And uh, there were about fifty of us on board working on the on the on the as cruise, the staff as the staff, and not about, for the boat staff, but for the program that's staff right. essentially. So there were about three thousand souls on board. All right, let's do let's 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 go down. The, let's take let's take the listeners on board the boat. Yeah, uh, and and look, we're gonna. The reason we want to do this show is because we want to talk about the implications of the cruise, but uh, it's a thing to talk about. Um, also, just from uh, the economy of co- the coastal economy, uh, so we're talking about the boat is called the MS New Amsterdam, I think is what you told me, and this is the right. ho- the Holland America Line. That's right. Uh, the stats are 936 feet long, uh, 105 feet wide, a capacity of 2,100 guests, and you're on board what sounds like to be. The Comic Con of cruises. That's right. So it's a great way to to think about it. Like if you if you've seen pictures of the San Fran, uh, excuse me, the San Diego Comic Con, right, where people are dressed up in cosplay and a lot of science fiction movies premiere there. Like it's this, it's a very similar community of people that right, that so, enjoy this cruise. So introduce us to the activities on board. I mean, you sort of alluded to some of it already, but there's some folks on this boat that are notable. Tell us about what it was like when you. First of all, well, what do you want to start with? Like, where did you start from? When did this happen? Why don't we do that? Yeah, well, um, so uh, I should say that this cruise has been sailing. This particular uh, event has happened for 10 years. This was the 10th year. And um, this year, we the itinerary was to leave from Fort Lauderdale and sail for a week throughout the Caribbean. Uh, there was a big land concert planned for Santo Domingo. Um, we were also planning to stop in Half Moon Key, which is a, uh, they call it a private island. I believe they, they've they leased it uh, from the Bahamas. They being the cruise the, line. The line, Holland America Line. It's 100% Holland America Line staff. It's an uninhabited uh, key. Hmm. So they bring in staff specifically when a boat arrives, a cruise ship arrives. Um, we were also... Uh, plan to stop in the Turks and Caicos. Um, however, our itinerary was modified significantly for weather reasons and because of the coronavirus. And this was supposed to be, what, a seven-day cruise? That's right. One full week at sea. And how many... Well, s- I shouldn't say that. We we arrived back early in the morning on Saturday, and we departed in the late afternoon the previous Saturday. So, okay. you know, it's six full days, let's say. Six full days, leaving from Fort Lauderdale, steaming out. How many souls on board of this puppy? 2,000 guests, approximately, maybe uh, 1,900 guests on board. They are called sea monkeys. Uh, sea monkeys, that's really? That's right. That's what they're called. Okay. Um, and uh, about... Uh, 100 crew and uh, performers, VIPs, you know, the, the speakers. There's quite a few uh, people on board that are popular in the, in the nerd community. Maybe we call them nerd celebrities. Um, Ken Jennings, for example, the celebrity guy was on board. And of uh, course, from, there's, from Jeopardy. Excuse me, Jeopardy. Right. Um, yeah, who else was noteworthy on, the, uh, on, on board? 
I'm gonna. Um, do you want to do that yet? I'm no. gonna. I'm gonna kick that to okay, kick go it. to the website <clears throat> to find that out. Um, un- unfortunately, I to go through that list. I don't. So have the, the soul, souls yet. on board 1,900 guests, m- sea monkeys, 100 people who operate the boat. That's the you know well, sailors. Hun- well, a thousand people. So there's the uh, about 1,900 guests. There's about 100 staff and performers and uh, guests. You know, wives of staff. So when you say staff, that's husbands. you. That the crews organizing staff and then there's the their crew which the is a crew different a okay. different category altogether these are people that work for honda uh, for holland america line and there's a thousand of them wow so really if you think about it there's two thousand joco people uh on board uh that includes joco consultants joco performers uh joco uh people that work on the stage and so on and so forth and there are uh 1900 Sea monkeys, those are the paying customers of this right. cruise, and there are 1,000 crew members of the boat, from yep. the captain on down to the, you know, janitorial people. Okay. And so it's a giant floating hotel, and you said it was a great hotel. It like, was, it was I, superb. So the I've best, never been on a cruise, so, like, enlighten me. I've, I, for sure. So the best way to think about a cruise ship is that it's divided into two categories, two departments. There is the hotel department, and there is the, uh, I believe they call it navigation, but it's it's like the the command and control of the ship. Um, the captain, of course, is in complete command, but there is a hotel director who mm. really manages all the guests and what's you know the the running of all the bars and all the food and you know this is what people when they go on a cruise they're interfacing with those folks. Right. The, you you don't really interface with the navigator or the engineer you know they have a sanitation department exactly (laughs) they're making the able-bodied they're making tens of thousands of fresh water they have a massive fresh water maker they're making so much food i mean there's food everywhere on a cruise ship i think everyone knows that um it's 24 7 operations basically so uh Mm -hmm. the the vast majority of the crew on the ship are part of the hotel department right on so you got a 1900 gas a thousand Crew members, what do you? So the total on board, somewhere around twenty five hundred. No, it's more like three thousand. Three thousand. Three thousand souls on board. So what if it? So aside from the fact that you were cruising around as this virus unfolded, and there was a great deal of interest in what was happening on cruise ships all over the world, it was in the news every day yeah. for us landlubbers who were watching this. Uh, cruising cruises were a big deal, but setting that aside for a minute. What was what was what were people's hopes and expectations? What were they going to do? I mean, tell us about you know what it sounds like. This was a really cool cruise. It was a lot of fun. Like yeah, like what were people? What are they up to for seven days? Well, you know, obviously before the virus became front of mind, uh, people were excited to come on, and uh, many of them are Jonathan Colton fans. They wanted to listen to the concerts. There's a show every night on board the ship. There's a big theater on board. Um, and Jonathan Colton, you tell me, is wait, wait, don't tell me. He's a, the, the guitar player on Wait, Wait, Gun. Tell me, he's they, tell us about Jonathan Colton. It's called the Joko Cruise. It's right. named after him. That's correct. Why does he get top billing? Who's he? Well, he created it, and basically, Jonathan Colton is uh, what I call a, a nerd celebrity. Um, he uh, he's a very accomplished musician, I should say. I mean, to take nothing away of his uh, his. His nerdiness. His nerdiness. <laughs> he's he's an actual he, he's he, an actual musician. Jonathan Colton um, went to Yale and sang in the Spizwinks and Whiff and Poofs, and 
uh, studied computer science. And when he graduated, uh, he became a, a computer programmer and was pretty miserable. You know, he would show up to his job and he, he felt like he'd given up on his dream of being a musician. And so uh, he dedicated himself to making music and just putting it directly online. And really, he's one of the first musicians credited with becoming an Internet celebrity. Really? So he would put he would post his songs, I believe, onto Reddit and slowly but surely people found his stuff and especially other coders because the, the music he would do. Well, I should say his first big hit was a cover, a, a really cool cover. You should everyone should go online and check this out of uh, Baby Got Back. Uh, and he, he you know, that's obviously a cover. He would he called it a thing a week. He would every week he would do one. Hmm. And um, over the course of, you know, I believe over a year, he managed, you know, he just kept doing this and he would write originals he, and pretty soon he had developed a pretty solid following of people and it spread, you know, it went viral, pardon the pun. It, it spread throughout the internet and um, he would go on to, it got to the point where he could go on tour and he could pack houses and, and sell tickets uh, and developed this fan base. And that then led to a point where he, he realized along with uh, my, my, good friend Drew Westfall, who I mentioned earlier, who at yes. the time was his kind of tour manager. Also a Yaley. Also a Yaley. Also so, a, a, so this sang with the Spizwinks and the Whiffin' Poops. So th- we should say for the benefit of the listeners that, you know, uh, there was this group of guys who came up with this idea of doing this cruise, and they do one a year, right? And That's right. Their 10th year. These are guys that you've known for years. These are good and personal friends of yours who yes. built this business called the Joko Cruise. Certainly Drew is, and... You know, the staff are all friends of this, and many of them have been sailing, and, you know, it's one week. You know, we're just temporary contractors. We go on, and we uh, help assist in the process of doing this kind of miraculous thing. And if you think about it, this is not a normal cruise where you just bring your bags on board. We have got to bring on uh, arcade games, and, you know, we transform this cruise ship into Comic-Con at sea. Yeah, let's and, talk about the details of that because I'm not familiar with the cruise industry. As I said, never been on one of these puppies, but the logistics of of renting what what happens is this company that Drew is part of and that you were hired to to assist with this thing. Uh, they rent a you know a, a huge vessel. This is a, right. a, a you know you lay down some serious money and you and you equip the ship. I mean. What they had, uh, what like uh, arcade games, like classic arcade. They had to bring. They they created a whole arcade deal and brought all the like. What did they bring on board? What was the programming? What was, you know, this is this is amazing. So it's what Dungeons and Dragons. It's what what's going on? There's well, esport. There's esport champions. Well, there's and all, all sorts. I mean, of, I mean, it's just crazy. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it it's it's a feat of. Uh, uh, operations, frankly, to even pull this off because, um, you know, some of this cargo actually has to be loaded onto the ship the week prior to the cruise. So it actually sails with the previous cruise. Wow. It's just because that's the only opportunity they have to, to load it up and along with all the other stuff that uh, the Joko cruise has to bring on board. So it just the from an operational perspective, operational perspective, you're correct. It's also, you know, you mentioned the arcade game area we had i want to say 10 or so arcades 
totally free, totally operational. Not 10 arcade machines. But machines. 10, I'm sorry. Yeah. 10, 10 machines. <clears throat> and these are classics. You know, these are creme de la creme. Like, of, what did they have? They, they, like, well, I mean, see. let me just, think. In fact, Joust, maybe uh, Asteroid. They, had, I they loved, had Asteroid. I loved Asteroid. Uh, <laughs> they had Area 51, which is my favorite, which is a shooting game of aliens, which is pretty fun. Um, they had some old, uh, the old classic. Uh, a Pac-Man games sure. where you sit down on the with the flat thing. I mean, and these all get loaded up onto pallets and ratchet strapped down, and you know, because at the end of the day, we're at we're on a ship and the thing is pitching and rolling. And these are sensitive machines, right? And they're old, and uh, so we we had to conduct maintenance. I mean, we were inside of these machines. I shouldn't say we. We had an expert on board who actually volunteered. He brought a bunch of extra wires and you know wow. attachments to so to do maintenance because it was inevitable that these things would require a little touching up so you got the inside view of how the staff actually pulls off this event essentially it's a, a week-long i kind of think Festival. of it as like yeah it's like it's like uh, here in town it's like you know a little bit like south by or acl which is, which is so this is why it's so amazing that we even did this because all these other things are canceled right so to be out at sea doing this and i should note that uh i personally did not have internet the ship does have an internet connection it's not very good it costs money i said you know i'm not going to pay for crap we're a budget deal at coast and we are i'm not i'm not going to drop 40 dollars onto it but uh and it was actually but we did have television and uh so i was able to keep up with world events and it was just as you can imagine bizarre being out in the middle of the ocean, the beautiful big blue ocean, right? Uh, <clears throat> knowing the, the most carefree place you're supposed to be. Yes, and and of course the guests are particularly carefree, and we are we are working to give them a uh, an experience that they feel like was worth it for them. They've paid for this thing, right? And uh, it's not. Um, it's it's not a cheap vacation. A cruise, any cruise is is a, a fairly, you know, it's an investment. It's a so people have yeah. worked all year for this, and they've Cost been looking hundreds of thousand dollars to put the put the event on to rent the ship. Oh, I mean, well, the thing much, you were telling me we're about, talking about it costs one point two million dollars. to take it the ship out? Wow, for and a so, week. Wow, one point two million. That's the risk investment risk on on putting a cruise together. I was fascinated when you were telling me before you left that uh, the ship comes in from its previous cruise, they disembark everybody, they clean the damn ship, get it ready, and reload it and put all of the new materials, the new stuff, the new games, all of the stuff that you need for your cruise. And how much time do they, like this is- And we transform the ship. So normally this ship, for example, has um, gendered restrooms. Right. Joko believes in gender neutral restrooms. So we convert the restrooms. We, we, they have previously made signs that fit the exact specifications wow. of the ship signs. And we overlay those. Wow. We redo the maps on board, the, their you are here maps. Um, so that to, to reflect where all the Joko cruise events wow. are. And really, there's two cruises that are happening simultaneously. This really? is the other really cool thing about this community of people. And I, I really have got to say, I know that we're in the the wake of the coronavirus, but I've got to yeah, let's speak talk some, about it. a little positivity here. Yeah, let's do it. This community of people is so cool and so 
supportive. And what makes this cruise work is that it is a safe space for all different types of people. And um, I've learned, I learned so much about communities of folks that feel safe on this cruise and can be there that I just had no idea, you know? Right. It's the fantasy, the community. And if, if, if never, if, if you have never been, and I, and I'm really not in this community, but I have lots of friends who are, uh, who, whose hobby or entertainment is around fantasy and is around Star Trek and is around, um, you know, uh, that whole genre of gaming and fantasy and um yeah there were quite a few uh, sci-fi writers on board and fantasy writers on board there was a lot of writing workshops yeah um, like what yeah could you so you saw some lectures you saw some tell us about it i'm interested like what did you get to hear and who did you get to hear from well you know i i was working and so i i didn't get to sit through uh the totality of many of these uh shows and lectures Right. But I did get to poke in on uh, Ken Jennings of Jeopardy and found it to be fantastic. What did Ken have to say? Well, it was, you know, he talked he talked about uh, Jeopardy very much from, first of all, he talked about why knowledge and facts are important huh. and how they bridge divides. How, oh. how Because if you know a lot about a lot, you can find common ground with strangers. Uh, so, oh, I'm from Chicago. Well, if you know the history of Chicago and you know all these things about Chicago, you can interlace your way into a discussion. What neighborhood do you live in? Oh, I know that's in the Northwest side or whatever. Right. Um, Rationality. And and you're able to create, he's like, when I'm on an airplane and if I'm sitting next to somebody, I can, and he told the story of sitting next to, uh, someone that worked for uh, Coppola, the film director. Yeah, Francis Ford Coppola. The, right, and uh, worked actually for, in the wine division of Coppola. And uh, he, <laughs> was, right, he, he was... He wine like, division. He sat down and he, he said, oh, you know, who do you... He's, the guy said, I work for the Coppola wine uh, thing. And he said, oh, that's very interesting. And he says, I'm a huge Coppola fan. And the guy says, oh, yeah, you're a huge fan. What did he win his first Oscar for? And... <laughs> He didn't realize he was talking to the he was like, he's like he knew I needed he knew he needed to get this right. And of course, he knew that it was a writing uh, credit. And of course, I'm blanking on for what film it was. It was, oh, it was Patton. Uh, Coppola wrote Patton. Really? Screenwriter yes. for Patton. That's right. Won and an Oscar for won, that. Won an Oscar for and that. Ken Jennings knew and it. Ken Jennings knew it. I get the point. You know, facts and then connect it, us. And it, it, it immediately he was accepted by this guy. He's like, okay, you're legit. You know you're a right. couple of. And he probably could name every wine that dude ever <laughs> yeah. made because Ken Jennings is that kind of creature. He's. If any of y'all watch, this is the guy. This is the guy who won the most shows in a row, the most. I mean, this was fairly. He's the all-time winningest Jeopardy yeah, right. contestant. Unbelievable. And uh, so, what a cool deal. The other thing about that talk that I'll just point out that I found yeah, really yeah. interesting is how he's very interested in how people talk about the game. He's very interested in the game and how the game's constructed and why the game works and the strategy of the game, of course. He was radical in his strategy, I think, wasn't he? Was he the guy who jumped down and did 800 no, that, first? No, that was a different guy. Oh, and that's he ta- a different He's guy. friends with that dude, and I'm blanking okay. on his name. All right, all right, all right. But he was like, I just had dinner with him, and he's that guy was a gambler. Anyway, we, let's not get too yeah, into no, this, okay. but he, he, he was very interested in the game, and of course the audience was too, because these people are, all are play games and are interested in the construction of games and how they work, and... Um, right. So it was fast. He, he really, for example, he didn't care so much for entertainers and the uh, hmm. pe- writers who write 
uh, excuse me, entertainment writers who write about the game. He much prefers sports writers that write about Jeopardy because they talk about the game construction wow. and why the game works in certain ways. And he, it was interesting. Understand it from a competitive point of view and right. a strategic Correct. point of view. Not as an entertainment property. Man, what a cool cruise. Very and cool. I, and so while during the day, gaming tables all over the place, people in arcades, what do they play? What, like, I don't know enough about uh, gaming, but... Is it Dungeons and Dragons and what? What do so we call this doing? tabletop gaming now, which is like, you know, it's like Monopoly is a tabletop game or Magic is a real popular one. Oh, Magic Cards. Mm-hmm. Which and so my they have, kids played. They have uh, trainings. So if you've never played Magic before, you can learn. And it's very friendly and people will teach you all you need to learn and they'll even set you up with your first deck of cards. Right. Um, and they also have a game library of hundreds of games, some of which are like handwritten one-of-a-kind games that are really good that they have a library and you can check these out and go find a friend and go play them anywhere on the ship and you turn them it's like a library wow uh and they have a whole the upper dining room was reserved for gaming throughout the day wow so uh and and when did you wander through it oh yeah so my job on board was to walk the ship so i i would went on shift at my i wasn't on eight hours a day i was on between Oh, uh, you know, on a light day, three hours on a busy day, six hours. And, you know, it was it was. Okay. Did you, you get a just, name tag? I did have a name tag <laughs> and a radio uh, oh, and right. uh, communication. I should eventually I'm going to talk about communication on board because they've invented a cool thing called Twitter. Okay. But I can't forget right. T.W.I.T. dash A.R.R. like a pirate. And it's, it's just on the ship. They literally bring a server on board. Wow. To, and it serves as this forum. You know, I, okay, I'm going to interrupt. To yeah. go back, I was trying, sure. to, trying to get people to understand how little time they have to load the ship at the dock right. before it departs. I mean, is that how many days do they get to do that? N- not days, hours. They get hours. So yes. if you can imagine having to have everything pre-positioned, having it in certain size pallets to fit in the elevators to move all of this equipment on board while you're loading passengers. This is like Southwest Airlines that has a 10-minute turnaround. They turn around this ship in less than a day. That's right. And totally reload it, totally remake the ship. You know, as you said, bathroom signs, maps, what's going on. I mean, it seems just Decorations. Decorations. Really? Decorations? I mean, we're putting... Uh, now the guests actually redecorate the boat on their by themselves. I mean, there's the part of the culture of this cruise is that they're sticking googly eyes all over, like on the art. They're putting, you know, Mardi Gras beads on statues around the ship. I mean, like the crew. Excuse me, the 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 sea monkeys, the the paying guests, right. really get involved in the creativity. There's a craft room on board, so people are doing crafts and sewing stuff and making costumes and. A, uh, you know, there's themes every day. There's there's a costume day. There's a cosplay day. Um, there's a formal day where people are wearing very formal. You know, like from right. the from the well, you do hundreds. You, you know. do have to tell a little, I think one story, which is about the dress up stuff. Which and, and if you're in the gaming community, in the fantasy community, I think you're really familiar with uh, with this aspect of it. Um, but the uh, what was the like? What, what were some of the great? Dress up like people are walking around dressed like Captain Kirk, right? I mean, oh my I lord! Mean, like, like, so what Star people, Trek, I gotta say, I mean, if you're what, a Star Trek people, fan, okay, or what other stuff, you know? Well, I mean, I, you saw Mario's that were like this guy could be Mario. Uh, there was a a Riker, a, uh, a 
whatever his name was, Lieutenant Commander Riker, I believe. Right. From um, uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. That's right. That's right. With and Picard. He was like the main. He was, he was, he was the spot for Captain was Picard. wearing a head-to-toe uniform. Right. And was had a similar build, had the mustache, or excuse me, the beard, the hair. It was... It was just absolutely spot on. Wow. There was a Princess Peach from the Mario franchise that was really well done. I mean, and I could go on and on. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of the cosplay, I didn't even catch the reference. I mean, a lot cosplay, of cosplay, what does that deep. mean? I don't even know what that means. Costume play? It's, yes, it's, it's, it's dressing up like a character. Okay. Or in some cases, there would be a whole community where they do two or three characters, and you know they were all one. You know they all. What about the superhero guys? Were there like Supermans oh, yeah. and all of that, and oh, yeah. Aquaman and all of those guys? There were there were there were superheroes. There were uh, Ninja Turtles. There were. Uh, if it comes out of the what percentage of the people on board are doing this? Is it most or it seems hundreds of people? Uh, certainly hundreds of people. Um, I would say probably about on a heavy day where a lot of people get involved and dress up it, it could be as high as 30 percent 40 percent maybe wow. even 50 i mean wow obviously people kind of change their outfits the nice thing about a cruise is you can bring as much luggage as you wish and a lot of people <laughs> drive in fact i met a group from texas uh, there's a snack exchange on board one of the coolest events people from all over that come on come on this cruise bring snacks from wherever really? they're from so from texas they came from bucky's which is our like big gas station uh rest stop thing yeah and they brought like all of the bucky's snacks and they drove so they bucky's has a lot of snacks if you're not from texas it's a it's the walmart of roadside gas stations literally they have like you walk in and there's a pantheon of snack material. <laughs> it's, I mean, this, these these stores, which are gas stations, are got to be tens of thousands of square feet. So, wow. So the snack exchange. Okay. So, yeah. Right. And so, um, well, tell me about some of the cool coolest people you met. Like coolest uh, sea monkeys characters on board. Well, like who, who, who? Yeah, I mean, I I met uh, a couple from England um, that uh, gave me some chocolate from England that was really cool. I met I met quite a few of the sea monkeys, but to be completely honest with you, the people that I really most connected with and had the most time with were the other staff members because we were working together and. Um, I'd give mm. a big shout out here to David McIntosh, aka DMac. Uh, who uh, he and I did quite a few shifts together. Also, uh, Chloe, Chloe uh, Ivinson, I believe is her last name. We did quite a few shifts together. We became, of course, very close friends. And our job was to walk around the ship to each event. And I mentioned earlier, there's two cruises that are going on. There's the official cruise, which okay. are like officially, like the Ken Jennings talk. That's an officially sanctioned event. And then there's this whole other cruise called the Shadow Cruise. And these are sea monkey organized and done events wow. they can you, you they can get put on the schedule they get a room there they get a place where they can say do a talk on uh the brain or do a talk on carbon sequestration two talks that actually happened um there's lock picking classes there are uh ukulele sessions and sing-along sea shanty sing-alongs and <laughs> just every quadrant of like nerdism wow. has a little pop-up event and you Keep going. But I want to hear about this sequestration thing because you met a really interesting guy that we might hopefully have on the American Troy. No podcast. question about it. We're going to talk it. about that a little bit. Well, uh, one of the interesting things that the Joko Cruise did this year is they went carbon neutral. 
uh, and Eli is a, and I, forgive me, I don't know his last name uh, off the top of my head, but Eli was a staff member on the cruise is, and uh, is currently a student at Oxford. Um, I believe he's a PhD student at Oxford in the UK. And he is, um, he is studying carbon and CO2 and climate change. And he's just an expert in uh, carbon and in, in CO2 offsetting and yeah. uh, how that can work. And he gave a lecture on board this cruise. He did. Wow. And the people that showed up, I mean, there was a staff member from the cruise, from the, from Holland America line that showed up to this. I mean, this, all sorts of people showed up who were environment. Some of them were professionally environmentalists on board. Some of them were. Uh, yeah, you dress up like Trek, uh, Star Trek guy. You might be Captain Kirk, but you're also professionally you work that's right. as an environmental consultant. So, yeah, you know, maybe you do a little gaming and then you go hear a, a really like a Ph.D. candidate from Oxford talk about sequestration. And we're going to I'm going to have him on and I'll have him do his same presentation because I think it's it was the most uh, clear and well organized uh, presentation and and walkthrough of how this can work. Um, and of course, our audience will remember we had uh, Susan Havorka on, mm-hmm. and we've done a couple shows with the Bureau of Economic Geology from the University of Texas. Yeah, on sequestration. On, yeah. on secure geologic storage, which is one way. And uh, Eli just does, he, he, he does an amazing job of talking about right, I don't want to get energy. too down into the weeds here, but yeah. did he mention 45Q? He did, and I, I strongly considered asking him a question on it, but right. I, I sat back and because he's a he's a UK guy. So for folks out there, the uh, IRS code forty five Q, and there's a huge rulemaking going on uh, in the IRS about carbon sequestration tax credits that are going to be made available. They're in the it's taken them more than a year to do the guidance, but how much tax revenue credits are going to be made available to industry for sequestration stuff. So there's the sequestration topics. Anyway, I don't want to go down that path. Um, well, it's it, important and it, we will be, we, we, we want to get back to that. It's, it's important it's, stuff and we're going to discuss it. It's, at a future and it's show. coastally relevant. I mean, it, we're talking about sea level rise and the assertion here is that there is a relationship between climate change and sea level rise. Yeah. And it's an assertion that I'm going to waste no time. Coastal de- relevant. Debating yes. that. That's yes. the truth. Yeah. And, and, but anyway, so this amazing cruise, the setup, the thing, you're on the staff, you're working the cruise. Uh, you guys launch from Fort Lauderdale. That's right. When you're when you're all gathering in the staff there, is there an awareness of the context you are in in terms of coronavirus? How? I mean, yeah, let me talk is, about that. Yeah. So, like, put it in the context because now we're going to turn our attention to this. All happened during the the this big crisis about cruise ships and coronavirus. If this cruise was scheduled to take place one week later, it wouldn't have happened because this the currently the New Amsterdam is sitting right where we left it and will not sail again for the foreseeable future. So we were the last cruise to sail. And uh, of course, well, you know, going back uh, that we we embarked on the 7th of, of March Okay. Uh, on the I flew in on the <clears throat> 6th for our staff meeting and we kind of were having a, a, a briefing before we would get on board. And, uh, and by the way, I should point out we were at the Hilton 
uh, where we had ASBPA uh, uh, several years ago. We actually pilot the pilot episode of the American Shoreline podcast was recorded at the back deck of that Hilton. <laughs> that's where we were. That's, I remember that's, it. That's uh, the hotel I was at. Yep. But um, let's see. So we're there and, you know, I'm checking the news and I'm like, are we going to go? I'm, I'm, I'm really thinking, boy, this is iffy because that cruise ship off San Francisco was being uh, not allowed to come in. And I was just, boy, it just seemed iffy. So coronavirus was already top of mind was it so and then we had a big open bar that night the night of the sixth and we just went around talking and you know you heard two different things some people were like well you know hope you know everyone was down obviously if you weren't interested in doing this or believed that it was too risky you just didn't most people didn't you know they didn't go and there were a i think there was a four percent cancellation rate okay and i forgive me if i violated my nda saying that but some people didn't feel comfortable and some people couldn't come they were coming from uh, Italy or other countries where there were there was a travel ban in effect, and they just could not make it. Or they could, if they came, they couldn't get back. Okay, so, so, it, so that's pretty interesting. So it's already reached a point in awareness. It was of, impacting the cruise. It, they also bought a thousand dollars of hand sanitizer and and sanitation wipes for for us, the crew to distribute and heavily use during the week. We wanted to be sure that we were taking every precaution. You know, you think about it. We're doing console gaming. We're doing good. <laughs> Lots uh, of touching of surfaces, know, yes. close interaction. Exactly. And and the arcade games, you know, your, your, your fans are all. So we wanted to get that. We told the strict instructions, wipe this down between each use before and after. Squirt. It's as close as these people. I, this is a... <laughs> We'll ever get to going to the gym, which is after you get off the treadmill. I wish this you got to wipe it down. Well, it's, but, it, it, but it's, gaming, it's, this is you had to wipe it down. You'd spray it and wipe it down. That was kind of the rule of the road. Yeah, well, totally. And and in addition to that, the staff were coming by and wiping it down for you. Um, so yeah, it was on the sixth when we we're getting ready to go. It was top of mind, but uh, we got our briefing. Uh, the Holland America Line, who was it was ultimately their call said, hey, we're good to go, but we're going to test everyone upon boarding for their temperature. Really? Yeah. So if you were running a temperature and you wanted to get on board the ship, they were not going to let you on. No and, for, and fortunately, nobody was. So we didn't have anyone that got uh, denied entry because for that reason, but they were they had a... So tell us about that screening process. So they've got you know, almost 2,000 guests. Plus, you got it. Well, there's 3,000 on board. Everybody's got to yeah, get temperature for, tested. For those of you who have not done a cruise before. Yeah, and I haven't. Uh, when you, it's kind of like getting on an airplane. So you show up to this terminal and you go to a ticket. A, there's like an agent, kind of like when you're going on an airplane. You There's a security process that you go mm-hmm. through. You have to, they look at your passport. They make sure you're good to go. They look at your ID. They look at your ticket. You have a boarding pass. And once you've done all that stuff, on this cruise, normally you would just then walk on board the ship. Mm-hmm. And on this cruise, they then had a medical officer with a digital thermometer, like a laser thermometer that they could right. shoot on your forehead. Right. And they were taking everyone's temperature. And if it was high or out of range, you weren't coming on. Wow. And nobody was denied entry on this cruise for that reason. And but they would have been. It was a it was a company wide policy that that was to be implemented. Were Were you feeling a little nervous at this point, or were you guys like, "Ah, eh, it's nothing"? What was the sense of the urgency of this issue? In, you know, among the crew and the staff, but also among the passengers. What was your sense of the level of awareness and concern at that point? On um, this is March seventh, so this is the day of. Yeah. So yeah. you know, 
as a staff person, by this point, I'm saying, okay, we're in. I've got my responsibilities. I'm going to execute them. Um, I noticed immediately as soon as the, the, so we, as staff, we entered, we got to board early because we had to, of course, unpack and get the boat ready. Right. Um, but as soon as the guests started to show up on board, I realized that there was um, just an incredible sense of optimism and happiness. People were happy to be there. And I got to say, I, I mentioned earlier, this is a safe space. This community of people is diverse. There are all types, people who are disabled, people who uh, are LGBTQ. There's just this big spectrum. And this week, it means something to these people. And they were happy to be there. They were not, there was no buzzkill because of the Mm -hmm. virus. There was some joking around about it. But in the back of everyone's mind, and I can tell you, by the end of the day, I went to the back deck to have a cocktail, you know, uh, after we had set sail. And, you know, everyone I talked to, the first thing we'd say is like, boy, you know, it's crazy what's going on ashore. How do we feel? And we all, it was kind of this mixed thing. On the one hand, we felt good to be away. Right. We were we were our own little nation. Uh, you know, we we were not vulnerable to, to the world events because we were isolated and no one was getting on or hopefully not off, you know, we were, right. we were operating independently from everything else. And it made us, it gave us a sense of, um, safety, maybe. safety. Uh, on the other hand, there was always the concern of if one, you know, are we, all it takes is one case to pop up and then maybe we don't get to come back. And so I would say that there was, it was just lingering there just right in the back, wow. you know? Wow. So the crew set sail. Where were you guys supposed to go? How did it unfold? Did the coronavirus influence the itinerary at all? Well, it did. But the first thing that influenced the itinerary was weather. So uh, as we set sail, it was blowing a gale. Uh, It was blowing 35 knots and the seas were high. And uh, our first uh, stop was to be Half Moon Key, which is in the Bahamas. And um, due to the weather, Half Moon Key is a uh, an island. It's a key. It's spelled K. Excuse me, C A Y. That Holland America Line rents from the Bahamas. I presume. I don't know who actually owns it, but I guess it's the nation. And uh, it's uninhabited. But they've built. You know, there's a church on on it, probably for weddings. And there's a uh, there's a, a beach area and there's some restaurants and they actually bring in from a neighboring island that's habited, inhabited, uh, the yeah. people that work there. So hmm. uh, the issue was that, you know, our ship could handle it, but they were cons- the the crew that would service the island couldn't get over there. Okay. So we uh, we forfeit that and we decided to head straight on to Santa Domingo. So we actually spent in the Dominican Republic and the Dominican Republic, which was a major stop for us because our plan was to do a land concert. So if you can imagine in the middle of this week, Comic-Con thing at sea, right? We go ashore into Santo Domingo and throw a day long music festival. Wow. Right in the historic center. It, I mean, the logistics, I'm just kind of blown away by what it takes to put this kind of stuff together. It's a lot. And again, we'll, we'll try to yeah. have Drew Westfall on again. Cause he handled, he, is the principal person in charge of all of this. He's got an amazing team. I can't, I'll shout out uh, Stephanie, my boss. I, I was part of the guest experience team. Guest X was our, our mm-hmm. title. 
She was an incredible supervisor and worked her tail off. Anna, who's in the what they call the home office, THO. Uh, she, you know, she was buried in there. Um, you know, there's a these are full time staffers and and people that work year round on this cruise. Wow. Um, everyone else is just there for the week. So you guys are going to sail into Santa Domingo and then bring all the guests off the boat onto land and then a day long conference concert, which means lots of bands, a venue of serious size, a couple thousand people. What was that like? What was the concert like? It was epic. I mean, and it went off without a hitch. The weather was perfect, which is a major concern because last year in uh, San Juan, Puerto Rico, they did this and it they had torrential downpour and mm. it, it, they actually had to cancel the show and move it onto the ship, which was, you know, as everyone was soaking, soaking wet, just trying to, and putting, bringing souls on board a ship, uh, is especially people that are not on the manifest requires quite a bit of, uh, effort. So, uh, they were really hoping this year that it would go smoothly and it really did. Uh, and Santa Domingo worked out great, but we, we went straight to Santa, Santa Domingo. We, we uh, left on the 7th, sailed to the 11th. The morning of the 11th, we arrived in Santa Domingo um, and did the show, packed up, got everybody back on board by uh, 12.30 in the morning, 12.30 wow. a.m., because we, we then set sail around 1. Wow. And um, our goal was to go to Turks and Caicos, but we found out the following morning that while we were in Santa Domingo, Turks and Caicos had issued a travel ban for to any cruise ships coming to them that had been in the Dominican Republic because the Dominican Republic had just announced that they had two confirmed cases of coronavirus. So our stop in Turks and Caicos had to be uh, canceled. How did that news get conveyed and how did people respond to that? Like, what is it like? Tell us. I mean, the cap. So there was a there's a PA system on board and um, announcements having to do with our itinerary decisions fall to the captain and the captain. So for example, when we couldn't go to half moon key because of weather, the captain said, Hey, we, we can't go to half moon key because what does of, that sound like? I mean, is there like, there's a, yeah, that's cr- well, it's, it's, this is captain. What was his yeah, name? Yeah, that's well, I don't, I don't recall his name. He's, he sounds Dutch. Okay. Um, he speaks with an accent and he speaks very rhythmically. Um, but he <laughs> precisely, uh, yes, we will not be able to go to Santo Domingo or and that we did go to Santo Domingo, but you get the but, idea. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, yeah. There's a chime. There's a, when the captain speaks, there's a, 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 a tone and, um, he then gives the message and, uh, it pipe when the captain speaks, it pipes onto every speaker in the damn boat. So into your stateroom, everywhere. Do people pay attention. I mean, oh, yeah. they're at gaming tables. Did they sort of oh, stop yeah. and look up and no rolling the, the dice and whatever the deal is. Oh, yeah. I mean, when the captain speaks, you listen for sure. Okay. And, um, you know, he, he would give an address about every day, an update, where we are, how many miles we've traveled, what our speed was, our latitude and longitude, where we were heading, um, what the conditions were, ex- you know, were expected mm-hmm. to be. I mean, he uh, he did a fine job. I, I have to say he also, you know, one of the another thing that happened while we were at sea having to do with the coronavirus is that he implemented a much stricter hand sanitizing. Yeah. Procedure. Tell us about that. So on board the ship, the uh, crew 
um, ramps up these expectations, makes this known. Tell us what they required people to do in response to the risk of the coronavirus during the cruise. So I already mentioned that, you know, the JOCO staff had, we were implementing our own really aggressive uh, procedures. For yourselves. For, for ourselves and for the sea monkeys and for everyone on board. We, okay. If you're using these machines where you're touching them, yeah. we, we, we had, and even elsewhere, we had put hand sanitizer pump stations everywhere. And we were, every chance we had, every public announcement we made, it was wash your hands, don't touch your face. The captain took it a step further. Uh, on day three of the cruise, and by this point, other cruise ships around the world were being quarantined. He said he directed his staff. We're talking about the crew of the ship. Mm-hmm. And he stationed people. So this was an 11-deck vessel. Um, it's more than that, but 11 numbered decks. Um, and on the ninth deck is the what they call the Lido deck. This is where you eat. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they've got a big and there's a main dining room down below but this is where he mandated anywhere where there was food served that there would be mandatory uh, we call it a mandatory squeeze you were a mandatory squirt of this disinfectant so if you were walking around that deck like you were to do the perimeter of the ship you'd get like six mandatory squeezes wow um so i mean the and this was the captains had people stationed i mean there was a staff member there you get off the elevator, this boom. There's a guy in a uniform that's got, like, you know, looks like a, an official of the ship. Is an official of the ship. Is an official. And ordering- Part of the hotel department. Not, okay. you know, not, but, but the, it was very clear that the, the expectation was that the, he wanted hands clean. And I don't know what other, you know, he might have uh, implemented other procedures with his crew that were not shared with us, were not as obvious, but it was, this was very obvious because okay. you could not. You so could not walk around this vessel without having a crew member uh, hit you with so some. So you're, you're hand in this, you know, you're in this basically week long festival at sea on a huge boat that's almost a thousand feet long. There's two thousand guests. It's like, I mean, I do. It's, like, it's sort of like ACL, the Austin, uh, you know, uh, city limits. Thank you, Austin City Limits Festival. Um, and injected into this party atmosphere, this safe place where people are dressing up and playing games and, and completely escaping, if we can say, not in a negative way. That's kind no. of what this is about. It's totally. like we are going to leave the world behind and enter another universe and live our lives and enjoy our lives. There is this injection of this event. I mean, that must have been... I, I'm just curious about was how it was taken in stride. It's it's kind of inconsistent with the notion of thank God we're on a boat. We're separated from the land and the constrictions and the judgments about who we are, how we dress, how we act, what we do, and then there's this. I mean, what was that like psychologically, emotionally for you, the crew, and the guests? I mean, what? I mean, is that a fair question? Yeah, I mean. It was surreal. I mean, it, it felt like it was a, an apocalyptic kind of thing happening. You know, we like I said before, we had television, so we knew what was going on. We also were isolated in a way. And um, every morning as a staff person, we got a briefing from sickbay. And uh, there were no cases that seemed to be corona. So there was a sense that we were okay where we were and that the chaos was happening on uh, land and we were at sea. 
so there was a there you know when we you know in the afternoon or evening you go to the back deck crack a beer sit down at a table start talking to people be it other staff or guests and you'd hear a lot of hey maybe we should just stay out here it's not so bad out here you know well, here we are we're having a good time now of course we were having a good time we're but on in reality you know that sense of coming back into port you know trying to re-enter there's there's ships that are trying to get into Spain and Mallorca and different places and and there's all of this complexity there's risk of being quarantined for 14 days there's and folks are sort of like we're out here let's stay out here that was actually no that was actually kind of what what you heard yeah that was what we heard i mean i also heard toward the end of the cruise that people were eager to get home a lot of people you know a good chunk of the staff hailed from new york city some of them expressed interest in going somewhere else uh, maybe going to their parents place and uh, not new york because right. there was a sense that they didn't a want to burden the system by being there um and being another person and also that you're just they're just going to lock be locked you know basically isolated in their apartments and if they've got to do that maybe pick somewhere not new york city where wow. you have more space and did you get a feeling that as the cruise went on and as it came closer, like you just you just flew into Austin yesterday, so you just got back. Yeah, we're recording this on a Sunday. On a Sunday, um, was there a sense that I mean, what was the reentry into reality like? Were people you're already talking about folks are sort of planning like maybe I shouldn't go home, maybe I should go somewhere else? There's there's this this idea that the world was imposing on this, I don't want to say fantasy in any way negative, but this, this entertainment, um, could you feel it? Could you detect it? Was there a sense of anxiousness or nervousness or were people enjoying it till the end? And we're people just going to, people were enjoying it to the end and we're just going to roll and go. We were rolling and going. Okay. I mean, that's I, good, I, think I think that we adjusted. Um, I mean, look, everyone was dreading, the idea that we would be unable to disembark because of a quarantine or something like that. So there was this thing in the back of the mind, but I'll tell you, I was uh, on uh, Friday night of the 13th. Um, they, we had a staff uh, open bar up on this uh, kind of the swankiest bar on the ship and uh, scotch was consumed and we just, it was fantastic. It was a right. lovely time. We were talking with all these people and we, you know, it's it's amazing how the human psyche works because on the one hand, we're having a good time, and on the other hand, the world's burning in a way. Like things are changing. We knew that the world had changed significant, and the world did change when we were away. But we, we we went to see the world shifted. We knew that it had shifted in our minds. We didn't. We hadn't experienced it. And I'll tell you, when once we were back on land, and especially once I was back in the airport, it was clear. You know, and by I'm on the ship. There's no, I didn't have internet. I don't have cell phone. I'm out of communication. So, wow. so I didn't. Yeah, it was fast. Moving. I had the news, and I had ESPN, which was actually the best news service. I'll point out uh, while all this happened. Um, but we 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 had a job to do, and we were we were on our own. I mean, you're you're on a ship in the middle of the sea. You're you are disconnected. So it was just this. It was a really interesting clash of knowing uh everyone on board uh was reading the new york times everyone was aware of 
the reality and that this was a game changer that was happening. But at the same time, we were all drinking our scotch and right. just um, proceeding and yeah, doing what riding the wave, do. you know, yeah. to use the surfing expression. There wasn't at this point we were we had kind of crossed the Rubicon and we had only one thing to do. And that was to wash our hands and not touch our face and take good care of ourselves and then uh, execute the, the cruise, which I'm happy to say went off flawlessly. Uh, and everyone did have a good time. And I actually, I think it will be, you know, it's, it's a memorable, it will be a memorable event. Right. One of the last, I mean, I, I think you're, I don't know if this is true that around the world, the cruise industry has come to a halt. I think significant portions of it. Yeah. I think there are maybe some places where they're still going off, but around the world, let's be real here with this coronavirus, we are not going to be traveling. We're not going to be taking cruises, at least not in the United States right now. And in other countries, as it peaks, they're not going to, they're going to shut down there too. And yeah, you know, to bring this into the coastal news today slash yeah, American shoreline. Yeah. Let's pivot it. Uh, podcast network perspective. You know, I was interested in going on this cruise for two reasons. Uh, not the Corona thing at all. It was that we know that the cruise industry is a major force of in, in the tourism sector and also in the shipbuilding, the waterfront sector. I mean, it employs thousands of people, thousands and thousands of people take them. They're constantly going. Out. It's expanding. They're building new ships, bigger ships. Um, it's a yeah. changing industry. There's a lot of investment in it. And um, I was interested in learning more about it. I had never been on a cruise in my life. So this was a, for me, um, I was, I said to myself, well, if I'm not going to the International Ocean Film Festival, yeah, this would be a great opportunity. I, I brought a mic. I was planning on recording shows. I mean, I was thinking that the, the story that I would be bringing to you, our uh, wonderful audience, would be one of let's explore the cruise industry. And, the, and then within that, let's explore this specific cruise. Right. What it turned into was a an experiential thing where it's like oh my god this is what it feels like to be at sea as things around you change to be disconnected to the world in a time of you know ultimate connectivity right and you know i also got a sense a a little bit of the shoreline you know i we did ultimately get to go to half moon key at the we Hmm. we on the way back on the way back we stopped in we got a day on friday the 13th got you know less than a day we got um, day know, before six yesterday. hours that's right you have to go to the beach was it nice oh my lord i mean it was stunning uh, really the, the water the you know it's the bahamas the color the but interesting did you snorkel i did not snorkel but no saw no fish really um hmm. it's you know this in this particular area it's like super heavy use right um i do and I, it was all it was just interesting to see they cut a harbor out of the island, you know, the island's kind of this limestone rock. Yeah. And um, the way that they cut the harbor into it, I found to be interesting. You know, there's some interesting coastal engineering uh, decisions that went into this. Well, I think, you know, I think you're right about, you know, what I was really excited about it when the opportunity rose for you was the chance to sort of delve a little bit deeper into one of the driving forces of the coastal economy right now. And I mean, the Port of Galveston is in the middle of upgrades to the the port so they can handle cruises fort lauderdale the the boats are getting bigger more massive these are floating this is las vegas without the strip if you added up the boats that are sailing around it probably holds as many people as 
go to Las Vegas in the in the main. I mean, they're just this is a huge thing. And the density of the economic uh, force here, the density of how the uses occur, where a single ship will sail into Jamaica or other Caribbean islands. These are rather small places and dump 5000 people sometimes in a day or 2000 is changing the economy. It's a changing the culture. It's changing the environment. Yep. And the cruise industry, um, you know, I, I just want to throw this out. I've, I've been watching on LinkedIn. I, I've been watching these amazing yacht building companies. Like here's the 175 meter long, you know, this thing is like- I love those. You know, they're just these I massive- I love the walkthroughs, you get a tour. Right, all of these cool. these huge, right? And this is, I'm gonna throw this in a completely different direction and this may be total BS. But when I look at what's happening with privatized yachts, these massive, they're now at a whole, a class of vessels called excursion yachts yeah. that, that you can go to the Arctic in these damn things. I think it's Nord, Nordhoven, I want to say, is yeah. a big manufacturer. Yeah, there's several companies that make these. There is an, there's a survivalist ex element to this, and I compare it to back in the times when people were building survival shelters and stockpiling food, and there's a whole community, a sub-community, a sub-genre of people who are survivalists with the knives and the guns and the food and the thing and the and, and and all of that. If you're super wealthy and you know and you have a feeling that there is a potential breakdown in society, what is the safest thing you can do? We were joking about it on the first day. I of have the a boat that I can go to sea for six months. I'm yeah. away from the and viruses. I'm away from the chaos. I'm away from the people and I have enough food and enough water that I can beat, I almost think this is, and I don't know if is, yeah. I've heard her hearsay that uh, people with those vessels are, have headed out and they're yeah. they're out at sea and they, they can they can spend you know these are all weather, they can go twenty thousand miles correct with a full tank of water and correct. fuel and they pack, and they got a little crew on board and they can just go and they I do know. they're and a lot of them are. Um, at least that's what I it's hear. Survivalist for the one percent. That's how I think of it. Well, and you know, uh, yes, I think to some degree that's know. what's happening. But um, you know, fundamentally, though, the cruise industry is growing, or at least it was growing. Right. Um, you know, I should point out that the ship we were on, the New Amsterdam, had just been uh, retrofit uh, very recently. It's, it's beautifully done. And uh, that was financed. So they are paying, my understanding is that they are paying a note on that. Surely. And so, you know, the impact here that this industry is going to feel from this is going to be significant. I'm sure yeah, no doubt. that there will be uh, some sort of federal uh, appropriation, some sort of bailout here for in affected industries. And perhaps the cruise industry will be, uh, you know, benefit from that. But um you know, it's, I, I'm just, I come away from it understanding that A, having never been on a cruise before, uh, I never really, I never would have purchased a, a, a cruise trip. It's not my style of vacation. I would, I would mm -hmm. much prefer to fly into a, a city and explore it. Being, you know, stuck on the boat with a bunch of people I don't know, eh, it didn't sound so good. But I got to say, there's something really nice about cruising. Um, it inspires some deep thought. You being out there on the high seas is epic. It's something we don't get to experience very often. Right. 
um, the lifestyle is kind of cool. It, it harkens back to a different era, you know, sitting down at the dining room right. uh, as you're cruising through the ocean and, you know, having a cocktail, a glass of wine and kind of this yeah. luxury thing. And somehow you're in the middle of the is is awesome in a way. It's a great planet. It, you know, it it's is. a great way to see and, the planet. And seeing the, as we're cruising and seeing the smoke pouring out of the smokestack, you're like, oh God, you know, what is going on with that? We're doing right. that and we're just building these ships bigger and bigger and our, and our regulations aren't ca- catching up. And well, where are they? You know, um, to, to, you know, do the normal <laughs> down the rabbit hole thing that I like to do. But um, in January, the International Maritime Organization, the IMO, imposed new fuel standards on ship on the shipping industry to get rid of bunker sea uh, oil as the fuel and to go to uh, low carbon um, emission fuels. And yeah. there's a whole transformation going on in the shipping industry that is a, another major transformation on the on shorelines around the world, which is how shipping is done. But um, you know what I want to do is take a quick break, and uh, and then I want to come back and I want to talk about one other topic related, which is the broader topic of the coronavirus. And the you know, Tyler, it's a Sunday. Everybody's sitting. We know that people are going to be sitting in their house for the next week. But I want to talk a little bit about um, how are we going to? What's the implications of this? Not just for the cruise industry, but I wanted to talk to you about ESPN because I know you follow sports journalism a lot. I really, I really want to spend a few yeah, minutes on that. Will. Can we do that? Yeah, for sure. Let's okay. take a quick break, and we'll we'll be All right, right we'll back. be back. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and CoastalNewsToday.com are brought to you by LJA Engineering with 28 offices along the Gulf Coast. The folks at LJA Engineering are at the top of the craft in the areas of coastal restoration, coastal infrastructure, rivers and channels, numeric modeling, disaster recovery, and design and construction oversight. And now they have a brand new coastal resiliency department headed up by our very own Peter Ravella. Check them out at lja.com. We are also brought to you by Coastal Transplants. Coastal Transplants prides itself on offering specific environmental and horticultural expertise with practical first-hand knowledge of all aspects of coastal revegetation projects. Their high-quality native and wetland plants, extensive agricultural and horticultural experience, along with their skilled and respectful crews, make Coastal Transplants your one-stop solution for restoring coastal ecology of your barrier island community. Learn more at CoastalTransplants.com. And we are brought to you by the Dune Science Group. Did you know that fiberglass is one of the strongest and most durable building materials in the world? That it is resistant to deterioration caused by UV light and salt water? Well, the Dune Science Group does. They offer a full slate of solutions for dune walkovers and boardwalks that are made of fiberglass and built to last. They can handle your dune walkover project from beginning to end, including permitting, design, and construction of the strongest and most durable dune walkover on the market. Learn more at the dunesciencegroup.com. So we're back and talking to Tyler Buckingham, who just completed a Holland America cruise on the HMS New Amp, no, the, the MS New Amsterdam uh, right. From March 7th to March 13th, uh, a really interesting conversation about what's going on on board of a cruise ship firsthand account during the outbreak of the coronavirus, the serious level. But Tyler, that you know, what's clearly apparent to, to everyone is 
that the uh, entertainment industry uh, discretionary spending, the fun that we all have, uh, is about is in the process of major major change. And right. I you know I know you follow sports all the time, especially the NBA. And I'm just like wondering what the hell is ESPN going to do every day now? Well, I, you know, what I want to say is that while we were at sea, we had ESPN on the ship. We had a, a handful of channels and watching the, it was actually the most important news source we had because. Yeah. Why is that? You mentioned that, that well, you thought it was the best coverage. Why did you feel like you were getting the best information? Well, from them? first of all, curious. it's, it was kind of what was, it's where the news was. So of course the, you know, the normal news channels uh, were talking about the, the spread of the virus already but really, it was it, this all began with the cancellation of the NBA season after uh, Rudy Gobert, I believe, is the player that initially tested positive, and then Donovan Mitchell, and immediately the NBA suspended the season. And I just remember being at uh, a staff happy hour uh, at the end of the day and going out to the bar to get a round of drinks and looking. They had a TV behind the bar with ESPN on, and they had the little... Chiron on the bottom and I saw that and I immediately just realized wow the world just changed because right. if if the NBA was to cancel that would mean as we have seen that the other you know for the same reasons it March would cascade Madness, which we would be in the middle of right just now just they would all 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 these gatherings of people and including the athletes like you just can't play these games it was it's too dangerous and um so it was just this when you're at sea and you're getting this information it was just really you re, just immediately realize like wow yeah things have we're, we're coming this back is to another, a another world this is another level of change and um you know the show went on the cruise went on uh we continued to go on and the vibe on the boat as i mentioned before was not uh, overly negatively impacted. I yeah, got to damn say. the torpedoes, man. We're here. We're going to yes. game. We're going to do our thing. I mean, what else were you going to do? I mean, I, right. I get that totally. But it changed. We knew. We knew the world had changed, and um, it was. It felt a little Agatha Christie like, you know, where, um, you you know, you're on the train and there's a murder, but like somehow people are still at the bar in the in the in the bar car and they're talking about it. That was kind of the way it was. I mean, something we, lurking. Yes. We knew that in, feeling of something lurking and, 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 you know, we were all of course practicing. No one was shaking hands. No one was hugging. We were, we were already in that mindset, but boy, did it come very real. Well, well, it's great. I'm so glad, you know, it turned out to be not the, not the, the, the post cruise discussion that you and I thought we would be having, uh, generally about the cruise industry, but about the coronavirus implications. And I think it's it's worth, uh, I'm glad we were able to do it, Tyler, and I'm glad to get your perspective on what it was like on board a ship. Um, because the coastal economy is driven in so many ways by the tourism and the and joyful events. You know, we're in spring break right now, and there's no spring break in Miami. Uh, there's no spring break in Fort Lauderdale. Uh, as you said, the city of Myrtle Beach's mayor has announced that they should quit advertising for guests at the hotels in Myrtle Beach. I mean, the financial implications of what's going on are going to be substan- are already 
substantial, like the loss of March Madness. And we're going to cover it. And we're going to cover it. So um, thanks, everybody, for listening in, Tyler. Thanks for that firsthand account. And thanks to Drew Westfall, too. Yes, yes. And Drew Westfall, a big shout out, my lifelong buddy, best friend, uh, who is the operational director of operations for this outfit and they just do an amazing job i can't speak more highly for this event and if you think you would enjoy it and i know that a lot of our listeners would it is an amazing community of people that go on this cruise if it's something you'd be interested in go to jococruise.com and check it out and you can buy uh a uh, ticket for next year's event uh, the 2021 cruise and I know it promises to be spectacular. It always is. They do an amazing job. Sounds really cool. Uh, and it was an honor, truly, to be asked to come on as a consultant on this cruise. And I would do it again. Well, it's the inside, ladies and gentlemen, the in inside perspective on the cruise industry. I've never uh, talked to anybody who's been a staff person on a cruise and to have the host of the American Shoreline podcast uh uh, in that position, really cool. Tyler, thanks a lot for taking the time to share that experience with our listeners. It's my pleasure. Mama,